we have to first throw out most of what we think we know about grief because most of what we think we know about grief isn't all that accurate or useful. So if we think that there are certain stages that we're supposed to pass through and that we're supposed to pass through them in a linear fashion, that we're supposed to go through anger and denial and bargaining and depression and all of that, that's, that is one theory of grief, but it is not the only theory of grief. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Are you looking for online therapy? Are you stuck at home like everyone else? High stress, high anxiety, worried about the future, trying to navigate everything, have a lot of worries, had a lot of emotional roller coaster rides up and down, just like me. BetterHelp.com is one phone call away, one Zoom call away, one text away. It's an online platform for therapy. It's so perfect for now, for coronavirus, for what people are going through now, we can reach out and get the perfect therapist that meets our needs. Don't wait. Check them out. See if you can find somebody. Don't struggle. They're so affordable. They are so affordable. You're sitting at home. Every therapist is working online now. Reach out and get help you need. If you are struggling, don't struggle in silence. I am so grateful that they are giving us 10% off the first month so you can get affordable access to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Start your wellness, get help, get support you need. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me here again on another episode to discover grief, understand grief, go through grief, get tips on grief, get hope that grief gets better and life gets better and there's something to live for even though we experience a tremendous loss. Today I'm very grateful for our guest, Krista St. Germain. She herself lost her husband. We're going to be discussing her story in this episode. Part of her finding meaning and moving forward, she decided to to give a gift to the world and share her journey along with tips and a lot of how-tos and how-don'ts, just inspiration, guidance um, with that moms and, and wives go through when they lose a husband. She has the Widow Mom podcast, fantastic podcast for anybody that lost their husband. I highly recommend it, highly, highly recommend it. And today we're going to deep dive into what she felt she needed after she lost her husband and how she created this gift for the world so other women, other moms that lose their spouse can get a little comfort by her journey and by what she created. She's a certified life coach and she coaches moms and wives that lost their husband. Thank you for joining me here on this conversation. These conversations are hard. Last week we had Malky Hirsch. Next week we're going to have the second half of Malky Hirsch. We got such a response from this episode. So many women are struggling with recovery from grief and Malky gave so much hope to so many people out there. I'm so grateful. And today in our episode, you're going to get another dose of hope, another dose of inspiration, another dose of empathy. So without further ado, thank you for joining me here. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you know anyone that is going through grief, please share with them. You might save a life. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Krista. Thank you for joining me here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm grateful because these conversations can be really heavy. Mental illness in general is heavy, but I like giving a lot of hope in my episodes. But I've mm -hmm. realized that when I've been recording, I've been doing a month plus on grief. 
And what I've been realizing is that because I don't know grief, it is a very hard topic for me to give hope on. Mm, And I've been realizing that it's just like, it's like pulling teeth for me to get through it because I'm like, I have to process all this pain now. So with mental illness, I know what it's like, so I can give hope. I can give inspiration. I could say, okay, I've been there, but how can I cheer someone on when I have no idea what I'm talking about? Because I didn't really experience it firsthand. Thank God. But that's why I'm so grateful for you, for someone that went through it and you're going to share your story and you created meaning and you created hope and you're a breath of fresh air for me to see that grief is not something that ends your life because sometimes it really feels that way. Yeah. It's so interesting, your perspective, because grief is what I do all day long. And I see so much hope in it that it's almost even hard for me to imagine the perspective of someone who doesn't do it all day long. So it's, it's really fascinating. So We'll see how your perspective changes maybe at the end. Yeah. And the reason why I decided to devote so much time for grief, because in March, before the pandemic started, I I said this in almost every episode on grief. (laughs) I want to say it again. I went to Celine Dion concert and it was on courage. And when she started singing her song on courage and speaking to her late husband that passed away and how courage Mm -hmm. needs to walk her through her pain and to continue showing up, I came home and I'm like, if someone close dies in my surrounding, I'm never going to be able Mm. to survive. And that's what, and I started going deep diving into the grief and what is really, how do people survive grief? And I was like reading all the books and I joined online groups and my friends were like, why are you doing this? You didn't lose anybody. I said, because I'm afraid that I know what mental illness is like, and I know what pain is like, and I know what sadness is like. And if I ever need to go back to that depression state that I was, and I sure, I know that grief is worse because losing someone that you love is like the worst thing, the worst, worst, worst thing. If my pain will go any stronger than depression, Mm. I don't know how I'm going to survive. So I had Mm. to get myself educated in grief and to sit and to take my anxiety and say, you know what? There are people that survived it. And not only did they survive it, they took it to another level of life. It's not the same. It's different, but there's life after death. And 100%. There's actually happiness after death, not just life, right? Wow. There's happiness after death. Do you know, well, I, we can talk about it, but one of the things that most fascinated me to learn after, after my husband died was about post-traumatic growth, right? The idea that you could not just bounce back to where you were before, but you could go, you could move forward. You could bounce forward. You could use whatever your life experience was as, you know, a way to improve your life. And that's grief fits in there too. I know. And I always, I do say it to my listeners and people that come to me and ask me um, about my past. I say, listen, I'm grateful for my past because I would never be where I am today with my emotional awareness and my emotional stability and my health. If I didn't go through the pain I went through, it just, I wouldn't be able to see it. I wouldn't be able Mm -hmm. to see it. And gratitude is so much bigger once you went through pain. So you live life on a different level of joy after you experience sadness. But should I say that I would wish to go through it again? Never. Like I don't want to go through pain in order to see joy and growth and happiness, but it's, but that's the way it is. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. Right. Yeah. Pain is just part of the human experience. We're going to go through it. So we might as well choose to create intentionally as we do, right? Yeah. It's And it's a choice. Yeah. It's really yeah. a choice, right? Yeah. I want to introduce your story to the listeners mm-hmm. and then we'll go into questions. So give us a little bit of a background where you were in life when you lost your husband and that whole story sure. leading up to it and what happened when you lost him and that, that beginning shock. Yeah. It was almost four years. It'll be four years, um, in only a couple of days, actually. I had been married and I had two children and then I had been through a, you know, not so lovely divorce. Hugo, my late husband was my second marriage and, Mm -hmm. and I kind of considered him my redemption story. He was kind of the hope after the failed first marriage, right? He was the soulmate. He was the man I thought didn't exist. He was just, he was everything I had really wanted. And, um, we, we're coming back from a trip that we had taken. We'd been together for the weekend. 
I work with a camp for children who are blind or visually impaired. Mm. We had both driven separately and it was his first year to come and be part of the camp. And so we were on our way back and I had a flat tire and I pulled over to the side of the road, got on to the shoulder of the interstate and called him and said, I have a flat tire. And he said, you know, I'm right behind you. I'll be there in just a minute. So he pulled up behind me and um, just got fairly close to my car, but both of us were on the shoulder, put his hazard lights on and um, we got out of the car and talked about it. And he said, you know, I, I don't, let's not call AAA. I just want to change the tire because I can do it faster and I just want to get home and it's been a long weekend and just let me do it. And so I let him. In hindsight, <laughs> I knew in that moment it wasn't safe, but, you know, being the the stubborn... <laughs> willful man he was, he wanted to do. And so I let him. So he was getting into the the back of my trunk, trying to get access to the spare tire. And I was on the side of the road texting my daughter to, to let her know that we, we were running late. A man who we later learned had meth and alcohol in his system did not break. We don't exactly know what happened, but he didn't break at all. He just you know, crashed right into the back of Hugo's Durango. And then that trapped him between his car and my car. And it just happened just in a flash. It's one of those things that you don't see coming. Oh. And so, yeah. So within 24 hours, he, he was gone. Just oh. happened just like that. So it wasn't... And not only did, is he gone, you witnessed it. Yeah. I, fortunately, I wasn't actually looking at the car when it happened. So I didn't see the impact, but I don't know that that matters. I mean, everything else that you see when you go through something like that and just, you know, the amount of time that passed before help arrived and, and all of it. Yeah, it was, it was a uh, traumatic and unexpected. And, and, and so I was just kind of thrust into that. Right. So there we are. So I went as soon as I, you know, kind of, we got through the hospital and we got through the service and, and all of that happened. I went immediately back to a therapist that I had worked with before during my divorce. And she was just wonderful. And so I kept seeing her for, you know, quite a while until I was to the point where I was back to functioning again. And so then, you know, you go back to work and we had worked at the same company together, which in a way was nice because other people there knew him and they, you know, loved him. And, and so they really did understand the loss more than, you know, they might if they hadn't understood him. But also it was challenging because I had so many memories of him there. It wasn't oh, an escape from so him. It was you know, home, it was at of, work. It was 24-7. Right, right, right. Um, and then I, I got to the point where people were telling me, oh, you're so strong. And, you know, from the outside, it really looked like I was okay. And I was okay in that I was handling the to-do lists, right? The children were being fed. Like <laughs> the house was running. I was working. But it all was very hollow right? It all felt very meaningless, empty. right? And so you just start, yeah, empty. You just start looking around and you start thinking, okay, people are telling me I'm strong. My therapist is telling me I'm doing great, but this cannot be it. Like this can't be the rest of my life. I cannot, this is not what I want. And so it was really just divine timing. I think that a coach that I had been following her podcast for a number of years launched a program right about the time where I really needed it. It was at the time where I was ready for it and I had come out of the widow fog, you know, grief fog. So I started a life coaching program and it was exactly what I needed. It was exactly what I needed. I, my, my therapist had been telling me, you should be a therapist, you know, because I was questioning my career choice at that point thinking, okay, well, this is not really what I want to do for the rest of my life. I didn't dislike it, but I didn't have great passion around it. So I had been working with my therapist and actually had decided to enroll in a marriage and family therapy program. And I had um, a little bit of a prerequisite requirement to to complete. So I was working on that in the spring, waiting for, for that program to kick off in the fall. And between the spring and the fall, I in that life coaching program had such a positive experience, such a transformational experience that I decided, you know what? I don't want to be a therapist. I want to be a life coach. And so that's what I did. So I went to life coach certification instead of therapy and then quit my job a little bit later. And, and now I coach widows and that's what I do. Wow. I'm like, I can't even like, I don't even have words because I'm stuck at that car crash. Like I'm really yeah. like my visual yeah. is right there. Like what happens to a person that that's right there and so hopeless because mm -hmm. you want to help the love of your life. He's your hero. 
He mm-hmm. saved you for so much pain in your past. He he brought you back to life. Yeah. He he created meaning in your pain of your previous marriage. And then in a split second, he's gone. And not only gone, you couldn't help him. You couldn't give yeah. back to him what you felt like he gave you so much and you wanted to just save him and you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> You're exactly right. You just can't. You want there are things you can control in life and there are things you can't. And that was one that I couldn't. But how do you not go into like this sh- state of shock and numbness and say like so you you talk about you go you said you go but you went back to therapy, you mm-hmm. went back to work. I don't even know how long how long was it from when he passed to you be able to actually have something in your brain that's not grief, like that's actually productive. Well, and so that's a really interesting question. And I would love to talk more about that because um, I might be defining grief differently than you do. But so it for sure in the beginning, I was quite numb. And I think that's a protective mechanism that is a blessing when you're in that place. If we were to actually just be able to experience all the emotion that comes with the loss like that, it would be too much. And so I think it's actually a gift that that it does kind of start out often um, numb and then it kind of gradually comes in, in more progressive waves. That's, that's how it happened for me. It took me about six weeks to go back to work. That's fast. Uh, yeah. No, you know, I, I've talked, you'd be amazed. I've talked to women who've gone back literally the next week. So, oh, wow. So I felt okay about it at that time. Mm -hmm. I felt ready to go back. We had, we had planned a vacation to Mexico. Um, two weeks after he died, we were going to be taking our kids to Mexico and we had bought a property down there, uh, like a, you know, timeshare. And, and so we did end up taking that trip. My dad went with me and we took the kids. And so I do remember some of that trip. Um, but it's very vague. The August was very vague when I, when I think back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you you talk about the diff like that grief comes in stages and that numbness is a protective shield from mm-hmm. feeling everything. I want to yeah. talk about that a little yeah. bit. And a lot of people say like grief is so different for everyone. But how do we know while we're walking through it that we're doing it in the most healthy way that we don't have like an emotional breakdown that will set us back and not move forward? Yeah, I well, okay, so it's there's several facets to that. We have to first throw out most of what we think we know about grief because most of what we think we know about grief isn't all that accurate or useful. So if we think that there are certain stages that we're supposed to pass through and that we're supposed to pass through them in a linear fashion, that we're supposed to go through anger and denial and bargaining and depression and all of that, that's, that is one theory of grief, but it is not the only theory of grief. So we're much better served to just allow ourselves to feel however we're feeling in whatever time frame that unfolds for us and do so with as little judgment as possible, right? And if we can do that and we can keep doing that, then we suffer so much less because pain is going to be part of the experience of loss, right? But we can do it in a way that I like to think of as kind of clean, Mm -hmm. meaning that we allow it to be there. We don't try to stuff it away. We don't try to hide from it. We don't try to bury it with behaviors or shopping or alcohol or busyness, right? We just learn how to allow the emotions that are there to run their course, to, to be to passed through, to have to our attention, through. to pass through. Yeah. And that's just a continual skill. But what when, what happens when the pain is so strong and you just literally can't breathe? I know that, I again, I never grieved somebody, but I know that mm-hmm. sometimes we experience emotional pain with depression, that it is so painful, you literally can't breathe. Yeah, I, I do remember moments like that. And it, in the moment, you know, you, you just love yourself the best way you can. You're just as compassionate as you can possibly be to yourself as you're having the experience. And later here we are breathing, right? We don't actually, doesn't actually kill us. Would you tell people that it's okay to be in sadness for years and years and years? Or is there, or is not healthy to do that and to implement certain things in order to get out of that sadness? Because to sit, so in one way you're saying, yes, grieve the way you want to grieve, your own way, your language, it's your relationship. It's the way, Mm -hmm. it's your past traumas. It's your relationship with your husband. It's the way you're processing it. But is there certain red flags and saying, you know what, you've been in sadness for too long and it's just not healthy the way you're grieving. Are we allowed to even say that? 
<laughs> I think we're allowed. I think we're allowed to say whatever we want, right? We're adults. The difference between allowing sadness though and letting our behavior be fueled by sadness is worth discussing, right? Because so what I teach is that feelings are a product of thoughts, right? So when we think something, that's what creates our emotional experience of it. And typically what we do is driven by how we feel. But just because we feel something doesn't mean we have to behave in a particular way, right? And so when I'm teaching a client how to allow sadness to be there, we're not talking about we're sitting around crying all day, right? We don't mean that we don't actually get to live life because sadness is a part of our experience. We figure out how do we allow sadness to be in our body without resistance so that we can process it and move through it and not let it limit our behavior. Nobody has to know when you're processing sadness, what's going on for you. But what if it helps us that people know? Oh, absolutely. If it helps, but right. Like sometimes people will say, well, I don't have time to process my feelings. You know, I'm too busy to process my feelings or my kids are around and I can't process my feelings. And that to me indicates that we need to work on what it actually means to process feelings, right? You can be doing anything and be telling yourself, this is sadness. I'm feeling sad right now. I'm processing sadness. I can handle this sadness. I'm open to this sadness, right? We go to our body. It's a somatic experience. Mm -hmm. We allow what, what is happening to our, in our body to be with us as we do whatever it is that we need to do. So it doesn't necessarily always look like I have to close the door and cry or have the door open and cry. But sometimes can, it is. I can be doing, sometimes it is, but I can also be doing the dishes and be processing sadness. I think when people say, I don't have time, I know that with mental illness, they say, I'm afraid I'm going to, if I open that door, it's going to be so overwhelming, I'll fall apart. So I don't have time now to fall apart. I don't have time now to not go to work. And I, if I open that door, I'll be frozen in pain and I won't be able to function in life, feed my children, go to work, yeah. go to the grocery store because it's going to be too overwhelming to feel. Yeah. So two things I would say to that, that's called resistance. Number one, right? What that means is that we are trying to take an emotion and like we would a beach ball, shove it under the water and hold it there. And that only lasts for so long right? Eventually you hold a beach ball underwater. It's going to pop up and smack you in the face, right? Mm -hmm. Emotions are the same way. You cannot resist them forever, especially when it comes to grief. They will wait, mm -hmm. right? So it's not a long-term strategy that works. But secondly, when you actually learn the skill of allowing an emotion, what you will find is that really it's not the black hole that you think it is. It's just a vibration in your body caused by thoughts. And when you know how to watch what's happening in your body and you open yourself up to it, it usually only takes a couple of minutes for one feeling to pass. Really? Really. What happens, we have a thought and then we have a chemical response to that thought in our brain, right? And then that, that those chemicals are then experienced, the physicality of that is experienced in our body. Right. Right. But, but when we go- The chest pain or the throat uh, choking exactly. up. Right, right, right. Shivering, the numbness, all that. Yeah. So I teach a process, which is really simple. It's called the now feeling process. And it's very simple. N-O-W, you name it. And I don't even really care if you name it, but you at least need to notice it, right? So this is anger. This is sadness. You open up to it, right? You say, yes, that's the O. Name is the N. Open is the O. Open up, meaning you're willing to let it be part of your experience. You're not trying to shove the beach ball under the water. And so name, open, and then watch. That's the W watch or witness, either one works. You go to your body and you say, where is this emotion in my body? And for me, oftentimes in my throat, mm -hmm. a lot of emotions show up in my throat. What is it like when I just focus my energy and attention there and I just allow myself to be present with my body and in my body, what do I notice? Okay, I notice a tension in my throat. Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it cold? Is it hot? Does it have a shape? Does it have a color? What is it actually like? And I describe it objectively. Because I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not being consumed by the emotion. I'm watching it in my body. I'm letting it flow through me. 
and I'm no longer trying to push it away. And when we do that and we develop some confidence around that, what we find is that it actually goes away much faster than we think. It's the the black hole that we imagine is so much worse than actually just allowing the emotion to pass through. And then once we have that skill, we can do it as many times as we need to. So that black hole is like, it's a panic attack. It's, it's, it's like a panic attack or anxiety that it's so much worse than the actual fear of whatever yeah, we're fearing. Right. It's like that nebulous generalized scariness that the brain offers us, which is so much worse than when we actually allow it to be part of our experience and experience it for what it is. So I want to give you an example and walk yeah. me through it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for example, your first anniversary with comes up and, mm -hmm. and like you're, you're dreading that day. You're dreading that day on the calendar and you hope that the calendar skips that day this year because you just don't want to enter that day knowing mm -hmm. that your husband's not going to be there to celebrate with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. The morning comes and it's that day. Mm-hmm. So what do you like? And, and you're just like, you're in so much pain and you just want him to be there mm -hmm. and he's not. Yeah. The pain is brutal because it's your day together. Mm -hmm. How do you walk through that? Yeah. I just walked a client through that this last weekend. It was her first anniversary without her husband, the, the day that he died. And what we kept talking about all the way up and until was, first of all, not shitting on ourselves. That's a big part of it, right? Not telling ourselves we should be feeling or doing something. We set ourselves up for a lot of suffering when we do that. So not shitting on ourselves, but then also just how do we make space for the emotions? How do we get ourselves out of resistance, out of avoidance, out of reactivity, and just drop into allowance? Whatever so, I'm feeling is okay. It's okay for me to have these feelings. I'm willing to have all of them. None of them mean anything has gone wrong with me. None of them mean that I'm not doing well. All of these emotions can be part of my experience. That's it. So a lot of it is judgment, do you think, that people have hard judgment Huge. on themselves? Huge, huge. They should be somewhere other than they are. They shouldn't be feeling the way that they feel. Or they go to their past. I should have done it differently than I did, right? They make themselves regret, feel, make themselves feel regret or guilt or any of those things. Yeah, the judgment, when we can just see it for what it is and drop it and really consciously choose to allow ourselves to feel how we feel without making it a problem, it's a completely different experience. Do you have people that say that it's denial? Uh, so that's the opposite though, right? Of acceptance, right? Denial, I wanted denial to say that it's like radical acceptance. Your exercise yes, is radical yes, acceptance. Yes. Denial is I don't feel sad. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. That's denial. Acceptance is I feel sad and it's okay. I feel sad and it's, I'm willing to feel sad as long as I need to. And not trying to like mask it with a party, with friends, with drinking, just being in it. Yeah. Just letting it be with you. Letting it be part of your experience. It is part of our human experience. So like, I, I could just see me just saying, okay, I just want to be in bed all day and I don't want to see anybody. And I might want to be in bed for months because that's my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that would be an option, right? Would it? That, well, anything's an option. Mm -hmm. But is it going to lead if, me if towards option, a better healing? If it's not the option you want and it's not the life that you want to live, mm -hmm. then we work on how do you allow feelings and still keep moving. It's not one or the other. So let's say I want something, but I'm not able to do it. So I want to, f I want to go to work. I want to be happy. I want to let go of, of this pain in my heart, but I'm stuck. I'm frozen. I can't move. I'm in a fog. I'm, I'm just numb. I don't want, in a way, I don't even want to be happy because it's so weird to me to be happy when I'm so sad. Mm-hmm. If someone said, take a magic pill, I wouldn't want the magic pill because that sadness is where I am now. Yeah. But is it freezing us from healing? No, it's the opposite, right? When we, when we don't allow the feelings that we have. So all of it's caused by thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that first. Whatever we're feeling is a product of how we're thinking. So we can always, going forward, 
train our brain to think in ways that are different than we're currently thinking. And that's really important to know, right? right. We, are, we have the, the ability to do that. But whatever it is we're already feeling because of what we've already thought, it is what's real for us. And to, to try to get away from it, to try to minimize it, to not give it its due will not take us forward. That will hold us back. And you're saying, and if that's where you want to be, that's okay. hundred percent. It's where you are. Mm -hmm. Might as well want to be where you are. I think what you're basically saying is take away judgment, take away what the world says to do, take away all the noises, all your past beliefs in the way you want to show up in the world and just show up in the world the way you are right now. And let that feeling lead you. Yeah. Decide how you want to, knowing how you're feeling, decide how you want to think about where you are. Decide how you want to think about what you feel, right? If I feel sad and I tell myself I shouldn't be sad, I'm going to feel worse. If I feel sad and I tell myself that it's okay for me to feel sad, that I've done nothing wrong because I feel sad, that I can handle this sadness, that I can get through to the other side of it, that it's not going to, it doesn't have any power over me. I do myself a service, right? You meet yourself where you are with love and with compassion and with acceptance. And, and by allowing, as you said, with radical acceptance, allowing what is to be and to run its own natural course has you dropping all the resistance and better able to create more of what you want going forward. Allowing sadness doesn't mean you just say, well, I guess I'm sad, so I'm just going to be in bed forever. It's not what it means. It means right now I'm feeling sad and I can handle it. I can let it flow through me. I think it's such a, a different way of processing our brain, that our brain is also going through sadness. And also we have to have conversations with our brains now. Yes. Yes. Which before we did, we had to just go through life. Now we're actually noticing our thoughts and mindful of them. Right. And I think it serves us, you know, and sometimes for many of my clients, grief is where they learn this skill, right? Grief is where they learn to talk to themselves more than they listen to themselves, <laughs> you know? And so it's okay if we don't learn it until then, but it's definitely something that serves us in all areas of life. Right. Right. To figure out how do we accept what it is that we can't control so that we can maximize what it is that we can control. Right. How do we, how do we stop resisting reality so that we can be more powerful and create more going forward? Because I could spend all of my time and energy thinking about how awful that loss was and how much I miss him and what, what I lost and what we lost. I could do that. And, and I've given myself permission when it has felt appropriate for me to do that. But at a certain point, if we want to start living again, then to focus all our energy on the past or things that aren't going to be any longer doesn't help us create, right? It puts us a victim to what's happened in the past. Yeah. And that's, that's not how we go forward. And, and we, we live on purpose again. So I'm sure a lot of people come, to, a lot of widows come to you and they say, I actually don't want to live without him. I don't want to continue life. I don't want to be okay without him because it's betrayal. Like, how can mm -hmm. I live life and be happy or even get remarried again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe even in, a, in, in certain areas in our marriage, it might be better or different. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling like, am I cheating on him by me mm -hmm. being happy? Am I, did that mean that I'm not, I didn't love him, love him because enough? he's got like, what, where does that, and then they freeze in sadness because it to honor his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do a lot of coaching on topics like that because you're right. It is very common that we think those things. So we need to look at that, right? We need to look at what, what seems like it is an objective truth is mostly just an interpretation. It's just a story that we have, right? So if, if I don't, if I'm not sad for long enough and I didn't love him, well, is that really true? We have to look at that, right? Is that really useful to think of it that way? Is it possible? But huh? is it not? My biggest fear is that if I go before my husband, he won't mourn me enough. That means that whatever I gave him my whole life was like meaningless. Like he, I keep on saying to him, if I pass before you, you're just going to move on. You'll be okay. You'll, you'll find meaning and you'll move yeah. on. What would be the value though in him just being sad forever? Missing me. 
and what's remembering how awesome like, what's I was. What's the value? What's the <laughs> value of living in the past, though? Being grateful for what we had. Ah, but we can do that going forward. See, the the, the foundational error there is that those two things can't coexist. Do you have you, how many children? You said five children. Yes. When you when you had the second child, did you love the first one less? No. No. And then you had the, the third and the fourth and the fifth, right? We we humans have such a capacity to love. It's not limited. It's can different. Be, it's it is different, but we can be we can have so much love, and and our love for one person does not diminish our love for another. Right? And that's a huge part that I want my listeners to hear because I hear this over and over. I remember a few years ago, one of my friends lost her husband to cancer and she got remarried and he was a lovely guy. Her mm -hmm. kids were old, uh, getting to marriage age. And she's like, listen, he's never going to replace what I had. Yeah. He's never going to. And, and we know that in our marriage that he's not replacing. Mm -hmm. It's different. And I'm still going to miss my first husband. And there's mm -hmm. going to be still parts of me that he'll never understand. He'll never understand. But that's my sacred part with him. And I don't need to share it with a second one. She's my age. She's my mm -hmm. age. And she, she went on with life. And she has her moments of extreme sadness, but also moments of extreme joy. Yeah. That she was able to evolve even though she lost her husband. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the way of it, right? Is we don't move on, we move forward with, right? Mm -hmm. We take all of those past life experiences and, and, you know, grief or the loss of something or someone that we loved is just part of that. It's just something that we weave into, you know, the fabric of, of who we are and of our lives. And there's space for all of it if we allow it to be there. And I think part of accepting that it's different and not the same and not replacement is one of the biggest cures. Because if we're trying to fit it into the same place, it's always not going to feel right. Yeah, right. Yeah, and why would we do that? Why do we want to diminish what we had or try to make something new fit into the same box of what we had when we can just make space for both? We can carry with us all the memories. We can be grateful for what was. We can even still be sad for what we lost mm -hmm. and move forward. Yes. It's not, it's not one or the other. They can coexist. Totally. It's like I, I'm still, I agree with you. I, and I tell people this, if you could take away my ability to miss Hugo, I would not want you to. Right. I'm grateful that I have the ability to miss him. I actually enjoy missing him. It feels appropriate and good to me. It feels love. It feels like love. And it's, we had something great. And so when, when I lost it, it was a great loss. I don't want that to be diminished. Mm, right? Love that. But that doesn't have to mean anything about my ability to be happy in the moment, anything about my ability to move forward and, and have new relationships. It's just, we just bring it with us. And it's all part of processing it properly versus resistance that you speak of. Yeah. And I would say, as opposed to properly, my word would be um, usefully. Usefully. Okay. Right? Like, let's do, let's do it in a way that is most useful to the life that we want. As mm. opposed to thinking about it as right, wrong, good, bad. Let's think about it as what is in service of the life that I want to create. Do you feel that the pain, the actual, that, that loss pain from the first month or two shifts or it just comes in waves? Sometimes it could be really strong and something could be less. Does that first like emptiness mm -hmm. shift a little bit? For me, it has shifted. It still though continues sometimes to surprise me or catch me off guard. I like to think about it like little grief grenades where mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, just, you're just not expecting it. So mm -hmm. we were coming back from Colorado over the 4th of July. And anytime I go um, north of the city that I live in, the major interstate is where the accident happens. So I always have to drive by that spot on the interstate. And usually I'm going, you know, 80 miles an hour. And so I have different experiences of, of it every time. Sometimes I dread it. I used to dread it a lot. Mm. Sometimes I, I don't even think about it and I'm occupied with conversation. But this time we were coming back. I, I noticed where we were because the traffic gods decided there should be construction about four miles before that 
spot oh on the highway. Oh my God. And so the traffic just crawled. I mean, it was just crawling and I realized where we were and I could just immediately feel the panic in my chest and mm. just thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go by this spot at a snail's pace. And so it's just it, nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't mean I've done anything wrong. It just shows me there's just still a little bit of work there left to do. There's just still a little bit of, you know, healing left to be done and that's okay. Yeah. Right? But I can love myself through that and I can give the time and energy that I need to give to allowing whatever feelings come up for me and keep going. Tapping has also been a huge. Uh, oh my God. I'm I a live big fan. Yeah. I live with EFT. I'm actually having a uh, tapping therapist for grief coming on on this oh, podcast. Perfect. Yes. I, yes. I live with tapping. I don't go to therapy anymore for my mm -hmm. mental illness, but every Monday morning is my EFT. Mm -hmm. And my listeners know that I will, no matter where I am in the world, and I travel a lot pre-corona, I do my EFT. It grounds me. And yeah. my kids make fun of me because they, they tap on their forehead and on mm -hmm. their lip and on their chest. And they're like, when they go through their anxiety, they start tapping. And I'm like, good for you. Perfect. Just tap, yeah. tap it, tap it out, tap it out. Yeah. And it's, if people understood energy well, they would understand how important it is. Agreed. That's why I'm bringing I'm bringing him on the the podcast because I think for for me with my depression it helped tremendously and with stresses in life in general mm -hmm. and I realized that everything is energy and when we accept yeah. that we work with it versus resist it hundred percent yeah and that's another thing that I teach um, clients not not only do we use the now feeling process but tapping is a brilliant way to just allow an emotion to be there right because it's the same principles where we're opening up to what is not to anchor it in not mm -hmm. to stay stuck there but to drop into that space of allowness and allowing and process whatever is there so you can just go to your body i don't know how you use it for feelings but i love to just Whatever part of my body is calling to me, which is very often my throat, throat, is just to tell myself, you know, even though I'm feeling this tension in my throat, I'm, it's safe for me to feel it now. I'm, I'm you know, I accept that this is how I, I feel and, accept and set it up that way. And then just focus my energy and attention on what whatever part of my body is calling to me. And yes. sometimes tears will just come streaming down my cheeks. And that's and it opening it up. And it's opening it up. Yes. And I'll feel like I lost 40 pounds when I'm done. Yes. And it's the most miraculous, amazing thing. Yeah. 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 And, and same thing with like, uh, so the accident, right? So the sound of metal. Yeah. I did a lot of tapping on, on that crash sound. Right. And um, seeing cars pulled over to the side of the road, changing right. their tire. You know, right. I had a lot of that. Seeing a Durango drive around town because that was the car that he mm -hmm. had. And so tapping was so useful in lowering the intensity of that immediate emotional charge that I would feel about those items. I think what's good about tapping is we're giving the emotions feeling and validations with love. So yes. yesterday I was working on a trauma that I went through that I didn't even know about when I was a little girl. Mm. And I was speaking to my EFT practitioner and I'm like, how could I have not been there for myself through that? Like, And he's like, okay, let's tap. Even though I feel upset that I wasn't there for Matana when she was little, I still love mm. and accept myself. Even though it's so, I feel like it was a, wa a waste of time. I still love and accept myself. Mm. Even though I felt like 40 years were wasted, I'm ready to move forward. And, and it's so validating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as it's so fascinating, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'll start tapping on something and then later I'll check in with myself about how believable it feels to me after I'm done. And I just, I don't even believe it anymore. Yes. It'll completely shift the yeah. way that I see that aspect of my life. We usually do that. Like, is it a hundred? Yesterday I said it's 500. He's like, it wasn't even, it was like from one to 10. You went to 500. <laughs> it was a 500 on the intensity scale. Yeah, it was a five. He's like, how much is it from one to 10? I said 500. And, and then afterwards I'm like, oh, it's back to hundred. And he's like, it's still like, it's, still and I, but I realized that it shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I want my listeners to know, you know, I, I, I'm very grounded, but I'm very spiritual, but it's not one of these voodoo things. It's not like 
it's really not something so out there. No, it really isn't. It's it's still a bit, I've read a lot of research on it. And so I understand, you know, conceptually how it works, but there is just still something that I don't know that I'll ever fully appreciate the why of. Mm-hmm. But I was doing tapping 10 years before Hugo died. I mean, I discovered that a long time ago. So thank goodness I already had that in my pocket, right? Thank goodness. That was yeah. one of the first things I did because I already knew how well it worked for me. I'd already taught it to my children. And there is just something and it's free. That's what's so amazing. And it comes with us wherever we go. And we can take it wherever (laughs) we go. Yeah. We don't have to. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's a very powerful tool. tool. Very powerful tool. Yeah. I want to ask you if you talk to Hugo. I do. Yeah. Less so these days. What was really helpful for me in the beginning was I would write to him. I had a journal and I would just write every day mm. what had happened in the day and what I was thinking. And, you know, I was, if I was mad or if I was sad or just, I just let it all out in a journal. Um, and I, I probably did that through maybe the first seven or eight months um, without him. And then, yeah, it's kind of switched more to conversations where mm. I can, I can, you know, you know, someone's voice and you know how they think about things. And so I know sometimes when he would find something really funny you know, that I'm going through or when he would be more encouraging to me. And so, yeah, I do have those conversations with him and I do kind of imagine what he would be telling me to help me. Do you coach your clients to talk to their bereaved husband? Well, what we coach on is not that you have to talk to them, but that the relationship doesn't end with death, Mm, right? That relationships are always still happening. As long as we're having thoughts about someone, we're having a relationship with them. And so I coach them to really examine the quality of that relationship so that if it's not what they want, they can change it. And however that feels good to them is great. Interesting. Very interesting. What about women that are very, that were in a marriage that was codependent and then they lost that? It's uh, it, what's so interesting as you say that what's coming to mind is how often they didn't think they were in a codependent relationship and then later find out how dependent they were on it. Yeah. That's almost more interesting to me than the ones who identified as codependent. Right. But it really it's it's really the same problem and the same solution, which is just what we're thinking about ourselves and how much power we do or don't think we have, right? So if we think that our emotional needs are met by someone outside of us, we'll always be searching for someone to be a particular way so that we can feel how we want to feel. And that's often what's happening in a codependent situation, right? We, we don't realize that it's our thoughts mm-hmm. that cause our feelings. And so we go looking for that outside of ourselves. Interesting. And, so at, at, yeah, at different in different ways, that's something almost all of my clients have to work on, and I definitely did, is understanding why we actually feel the way we do and where our how we can exercise our ability to change those patterns. And we don't need anybody else to do that. We don't need anybody else to feel better. Is it like a double a double exercise? One, I have to grieve, and I have to like I, I miss him so much. And the other one is like to learn to not. I, I was so dependent on him. I like I speak to a lot of women. They're like, he did everything for me. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how much he was doing. Now I have to forget about the emotional pain, the physical stuff that he did. Yeah. That loss is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like every time you have to pay a bill, if he was the bill payer, every time he 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 would do something useful, like change something in the house that yeah. was broken, you suddenly feel like Oh my God, I'm really missing him. I'm really missing him. I'm really missing. Him. It's constant. Do you feel like their, their healing process takes longer because they keep on bumping into it all the time during the day because they were so codependent? Or maybe most women are codependent on their husbands and that's okay. Well, I, yeah, we do have to just learn to adjust, right? If there were areas that he, you know, skills he had that we don't have. You know, sometimes we have to learn new skills or we have to figure out how are we going to handle those things. And that can be a challenge, right? It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. And if there were areas of self-belief that we didn't realize how much he had to do with, we have to figure those out for ourselves, right? If we, because so many women, widows are, are shocked at how they don't feel confident anymore. And before they identified as very self-confident mm-hmm. and they did not realize how much of his belief in them they were leveraging, Mm. right? Their own belief in themselves is now fully exposed 
Wow. Because he's no longer there to be their cheerleader. What an awareness. So that, but I see that as an opportunity, right? I see that as an opportunity to fix the gap. Let's decide how we want to see ourselves. Let's decide to be our own cheerleader. Let's figure that part out for ourselves so that we aren't dependent upon the next relationship. Yeah. Falling in love with ourselves and accepting us and, and showing up out of our own motivation yes. versus somebody motivating us to move forward. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's true. Like real living. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely. And if it's, if we don't address it, it's still going to keep happening. Yeah. Right? We're still going to end up, I I've had clients come to me working with one. Now, the reason she came to me was because, you know, after the first marriage, she didn't want to feel all the feelings. And so she got married relatively quickly to someone who she's now in the process of getting a divorce from. Be, and, and it's okay. Right. She didn't know then what she didn't know. Mm -hmm. She knows it now, but now is the time to change those patterns. Now is the time to figure out who, how she wants to see herself and how she wants to, to create her life going forward so that it's not dependent upon another person. What do we do with the regrets? Mm, yeah. We look at them. We look at them. We talk them through. So regret, I think regret is an interesting one, right? Regret is when we have new data. We didn't know what we didn't know at the time right? So we made the best decision we could with what we knew at the time. But now fast forward a bit, we have new data and we tell ourselves we should have made a different decision. But it's too late. But it's too late. And it's really unfair because how, how could we have known the data that we have now? We don't get to make decisions in reverse. We only get to make decisions going forward. We never know the result of a decision that we're going to make. Right. But I believe even the man who caused the accident that killed my husband, he was doing the best job he could with what he knew that day. For whatever reason, how do, and how do you know that? Because I believe that that's, I believe that all humans are. I believe that even when we later look back and wish we had done it differently, that in the moment, none of us wake up thinking, you know what, today I just want to suck at life. That's I what Brene wanna... Brown says, right? Yeah. Courage I, I, I... is believing that everybody's doing the best they We're can. We're all doing the best we can. So for him on a Sunday afternoon, meth and alcohol and a car were for whatever reason, the best he knew how to do at the time. Is it to my standards? No. Do I wish it were so? No. But do I believe he meant harm and tried to mess up my life? No, right? So can we extend that same courtesy to ourselves? Can we just decide that whatever it is we did back then was the best we could with what we knew? I think we can. Wow. Did you forgive the driver? Yes, I did. For, for yourself. Me. For me. Yeah, for yourself. And that's a big process probably, mm -hmm. right? Huge process. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing. It was about a year after the accident that we actually had the sentencing. And, you know, that's what I did. I told him. You spoke to him face to face? Yeah. And at the sentencing, there was a chance. I don't actually, I, in retrospect, I don't think we were supposed to talk to him. I think we were just supposed to talk to the judge, but I didn't know that. And so I had written a letter. And so I just stood up and I read it. And I just told him, you know, I forgive you. Like, I, I, I wanted him to know what he had done, um, but to not let it define his life, not wow. let it be the definition of who he was. And I wanted him to know that I didn't hold him. And I'm not going to invite him over for dinner, right? It's boundaries. You can but have your I, boundaries, I right? I'm not interested in anyway. having a relationship with him in the physical sense, but I'm also not interested in holding on to anger and hate for myself. And I don't think that it serves anybody. So yeah, it's my personal choice. And it's not, I don't think of it as a moral obligation. I think when we're if we don't want to hold on to anger and hate, then the forgiveness is the way. Yeah. And you gifted him, you gifted him a chance to, to do better and try harder. That's what I hope, right? That's what I hope is that he really just sees that he was doing the best job he could with what he knew. And that, that doesn't have to be the definition of who he is. That's just one part of his life. Right. And to go forward and to like, really think about, can you live also for my husband? Can you put some good in the world? Wow. That is so powerful. Yeah, it's so freeing for you and you really gifted it to him because you have every right to not want to look at him and to, mm -hmm. but in a way you're basically saying you're part of the divine plan that you were put into this picture for me to go through this. Mm -hmm. As you said, do I want it? No. Did I choose it? No. Is it awful? Right. Yes. yes. Do I, I know the why? No, but I'm going to choose right. how to react in this situation. And that if we could just do that in every little instance in life, 
Mm-hmm. Every little moment where we recognize this is what I can't control. Who do I want to be? This is what I can't control. Who do I want to be? Yes. That's it, right? We don't argue with what we can't control. We accept it, but we still decide. And who do I want to be? And that's how we leave victim mode. Amen. Right? Yeah. When we look it in the eye and we're like, we choose. And it's not fake um, positivity. And it's not, no. it's not fake gratitude. And it's not fake. We're choosing. And it's still painful. It's, and it's still hard. Sometimes. Yes. Yes. It's, yes. But we're choosing yeah. for ourselves to process it differently, to make the yeah. outcome different. Yes, we can live with hate with him for the rest of our life and yeah. and wish evil on him, but is that going to bring me any good? Yeah. Is that in service of the life that I want to leave? Live, right. Live. No, it's not. Right. It's not. I could talk to you all day. Yeah. So it's, it's been fascinating. And I have two more questions. One yeah. that I ask everyone. I have a bunch. Let me think for a second which one I want to ask the <laughs> well, most. Well, I've got three minutes. Unless yeah, we right. No, we do have, right. We do have three minutes. So what I want to ask as a tip for someone that didn't lose their husband, mm-hmm. I want you to come from the other side. Mm-hmm. Give me a tip as somebody that's still happily married, thank God to my husband. Mm-hmm. What did you do you wish you knew before you lost your husband in order to live mm-hmm. the best life now before? Yeah, just the value of staying present, right? The value of not wishing you were somewhere else, but just really enjoying where you are and doing that as much as possible. Being mindful in the now, yeah. counting your blessings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. What does hope mean to you? Ah. Uh, Hope is like my special word. Hope to me, it's, it, I have a, actually an anchor tattoo because the anchor is a symbol of hope. So hope has always been an important thing to me. To me, it means that no matter what we're going through, it, there's always something to look forward to. There's always something we can, bigger than us, beyond us, more than what we're currently experiencing. Um, and so it's just like light. Right. It's funny because when you were saying it, I was seeing like a escalator. It keeps on moving Mm. and there's always something after. Yeah. There's always something. It's going to lead you. You're not sure. Like on the bottom of the escalator, you don't know what's really on the top. Mm -hmm. It keeps on moving Mm -hmm. and it could be slowly, but then you get to the top and you see that there's something else there. When you were saying that, that's what I was visualizing, Mm -hmm. that it could be really a slow, dark process. Yeah. It's changing. There's always something else after. Yes. There's always something else after. Beautiful. Even if we don't know what it is. Amazing. Thank you, Krista. How can people work with you, listen to you, follow you, work with you? (laughs) Probably the best um, two places. One, uh, my podcast. It's called The Widowed Mom Podcast. So if they want to learn more about my approach to grief, even if they're not widows, I hope that my podcast would help them. And then also, you know, they can go to to coachingwithkrista.com, which is my website. And connect with me there. All my social links are there. You know, all my work with me information is there. Yeah, I'd love that. Do you work online? I do. All of my work is on Zoom. So I work with okay. clients all over the all over okay. the country. So Corona didn't affect you. Oh no, my goodness, no. <laughs> Lots of women still grieving. Yep. Okay. And when they work with you, do you, I'm sure you get this all the time because I get it. Like, how long will I work with you? How long would this be? Depends. If if a woman is a widowed mom, I have a six month group program. It's a small group, all widows, all moms. Oh, so if they I, support each other. Oh, it's so supportive. It's magical. Okay. Um, but they're all going through the same, you know, framework. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's one-on-one, I usually don't work with clients for less than 12 weeks, but that's a little more customizable, but the lion's share of what I do these days is group. But 12 weeks is not a long time at all. If you think about therapy and what years and years and years, 12 weeks is short. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just interviewed another coach, Mm -hmm. um, who, who's the coach that you went to? I'm curious to know. Oh, Brooke Castillo. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's the one. The rock star. She's, She's the one. So yeah. the one I interviewed, which I'm not going to share who she is yet mm-hmm. because I, I, didn't, I didn't go live. But yeah, she is. I follow her. Mm-hmm. I love I her podcast. I can't love. Yeah. But um, yeah, if anybody wants to become a coach, she is the one. Yeah. And, and, and I recommend listening to her podcast. Okay. We got to yeah. go. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> we got to go. Thank you. Thank you. Totally Krista. Thank you so much. Totally. Check, check Krista out, share this episode and be inspired, be inspired to move past grief. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Bye till next time. Bye-bye. Grief is universally one of the more powerful, intense emotions. Some people, whether due to trauma or conditions like borderline personality disorder, experience all of their emotions on the more intense end of the spectrum, which can be challenging without some support and guidance. For those who frequently experience emotional dysregulation or emotional sensitivity, there is an online dialectical behavior therapy skills solution. Dialectical behavior therapy skills or DBT skills are essentially emotional coping skills. Check out EmotionallySensitive.com for more information. They have weekly online psychoeducational DBT skills groups attended by students around the globe and co-facilitated by a licensed DBT trained therapist and a DBT trained certified life coach who is in recovery from borderline personality disorder herself. Please visit EmotionallySensitive.com to learn more and ask any questions you may have about their next program, which starts on July 27th. Enrollment closes at noon Pacific on Sunday, July 26th. Again, visit us at EmotionallySensitive.com and we hope to have you in class with us very soon. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.